Hello, everybody. Dr. Rick Wallace here dropping in on you. Hope everybody is having an unbelievable day. Um, it has been a crazy and hectic last uh, seven to 10 days and it's still got another seven to 10 days uh, to go. We're trying to get some things done as we move into uh, September. Uh, a lot of things on deck. A lot of projects are simultaneously running and launching, and it is kind of hectic right now. And my 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 ace has kind of been on hiatus. Uh, this is Marion, uh, Marion, my wife's um, birthday month, and she's been away celebrating with friends. I'll be picking her back up. Uh, today and then we're going to celebrate this weekend which is actually her birthday weekend um all the while things are still going things are still happening and things are still moving about and demanding my presence in many ways and so it's been quite uh, a ride uh, but i am proud and honored to be a person in the position to take on these challenges so with that being said, before I get started on this, something I'm extremely uh, passionate about and concerned about, I want to remind you that I have uh, begun uh, a project, the uh, the Black Wealth Project. I'm not sure exactly what the book will be entitled yet. Um, I've been mulling some things over. I've actually asked you guys to weigh in on it. Nobody's weighed in yet. Uh, but uh, I'm going to explain to you briefly what this project is about. Um, I'm, a, uh, I'm in the process now. I've, I've completed the research for the most part in the process now of writing book number 25, plan to have it done and published and released by the end of the year. It's important to me, number one, because it's book number 25, you know, um, and I think that I have written so much and I have announced, announced so many uh, book releases that I sometimes don't really actually process the fact that of what I've done. And I've taken some time off uh, to really think about this this time around. And it's 25 books. Uh, and I'm not talking 10 pagers. I'm talking books. <laughs> got, I got them laying around here all over the place. But Just a few laying around here. Ah. Well, uh, I can't find a critical mass. This is around here somewhere, I guess. But this is the last couple of years. Merging Souls, book number uh, 24. Born in Captivity, Psychopathology as a Legacy of Slavery, book number 19. The Undoing of the African-American... Hold on. As you can see, these books aren't thin. The Undoing of the African-American Mind. Um, I Am. That's probably about the thinnest one. And you can see it's really not that thin. Uh, I Am. The Power of Self-Declaration. Uh, critical Mass. A More Miseducation of Black Youth in America. Um, uh, and on and on and on. Um, it's a passion. But here I am now. And I'm writing about... Uh, 
building black wealth, black generational wealth, not just in the sense of what it takes economically and the understanding of finance. Dr. Claude Anderson has done a great job with that, not just talking about the idea of leveraging investments and compound growth. I think Dr. Boyce Watkins has done an unbelievable job with that. Both I'm familiar with, both I practice. Uh, but I'm talking about that encompassed by an understanding of the plight of Black Americans, Black foundational Americans, um, descendants of slaves who have had to work through, navigate through, and move around uh, multitudinous machinations and mechanisms set in place to stop the development of generational wealth. It isn't Black people not being uh, astute. It's not Black people not being uh, committed to working hard. We're not lazy inherently. We like to, they like to portray us as being labor, but actually when you look at it, we are hard workers, we are focused. The problem is our hard work has not produced anywhere close to what it could have produced if we were on a level playing field. We have to be honest with that. We can talk about the black codes, we can talk about convict leasing, we can talk about redlining, we can talk about so many different things that un create an unlevel playing field for us. And some of these things still exist and we have to be aware of those things. So I go through the history of it and lay you lay down and, and, and put in clear, uh, clear focus what is happening and why we are where we're at. I mean, in, in, in clear detail, not to whine, not to complain, but to sit up and say, hey, look, here, here, here we are. This is how we are. Then I say, OK, this is what we do. And it's a combination of a lot of things you've heard before and a lot of things you haven't. And it is a plan that's going to take a commitment and some work. So the book is the first part of it. And then we come out and we're going to build a network and show people how to do it. We're going to connect and all that. And I'll talk to you about that later. The book is the first thing and everything will be laid out in the book. You can lose the book as your bl blueprint, literally. Okay. What I decided to do since it was book number 25 and for a number of the reasons, no, number of other reasons is partner with my community. I consider my community the people who believe in me, the people who uh, believe in what I do, uh, the research I do. And people don't understand the importance of research. I'm not talking about just looking up stuff. I'm talking about conducting and actually doing studies. I'm also talking about being able to do literary reviews, literature reviews of existing studies. On, on an academic level to be able to vet references and sources to know what you can depend on, what you can trust, to be able to be unbiased in the research so you don't infuse your own ideas into something and change the facts or the interpretation. All of this stuff is a part of it. And this is what I've been doing through the research arm of the Odyssey Project. I've, for the most part, done it, funded it and everything. But here we are now, and it's time to put in this work. So I decided to partner with my my tribe, I guess, so to speak, my my community. And what I'm doing is saying I'm I want you to sponsor the beginning of the project, which is the book. And what we're going to do is anybody who sponsors from, I mean, regardless of the amount, a dollar, a thousand dollars, will have their name published in the book, along with a memorial or a statement of acknowledgement or appreciation for any person you want to, or persons you want to do it for. 
I'm not putting a limitation on what you want to submit. I, you know, I would like to, like it to be kept to a couple of paragraphs. But if there's somebody who's really touched your heart and you just really want to pour out, this is your chance to do it and have it published and be a memorial. And a dollar, 25, 35, 40, it doesn't matter. You're going to be considered a sponsor. There will be categories uh, just, you know, for the sake of breaking things down. But anybody who, who sponsors with $25 or more will receive a copy of the book. Anybody who sponsors for $100 or more will receive a dedicated page for their memorial, meaning that only their name and their appreciation or memorial statement will be on that page. Um, I have uh, included the information in the description box for those who can receive chat. I'm sharing the link in the chat box um, and you guys can go there. I want you. I want you. I want your support. I need your support. But more importantly, I want to really build the momentum of what's coming. And I want you guys invested in it um, and all of that good stuff. So if there's somebody you want to memorialize for as little as a dollar, you can memorialize them. Uh, get their name in there. Talk about what they mean to you and everything else like that. And it's going to be published in the book. And like, again, uh, everybody's going to be treated with respect. So I won't put, you know, for, for people who can only give a dollar, you won't have a dollar next to your name. You'll just have your name and your statement. Now, obviously, people will know that the people with a dedicated page gave at least $100. And, you know, that's it. But Again, I would really like to have your support. With all that being said, let's move on to what I really want to talk about because I actually have to start getting ready to go pick up my baby, man. These days have been long without my baby. I've been about to catch a case with these kids. And when I say kids, we don't have no real kids. Well, my grandson, and we, me and him stay into it. That, that's my little dude. We stay into it. We ain't happy unless we wrestling. But these kids, man, that's something else. It's amazing how uh, our youth, and I'm talking about them a little bit because I'm, I'm going to talk about our youth in this in this video. Um, how our kids uh, sit up and you know want to remind us that they're grown. Um, and then simultaneously or subsequently talk about, hey, I need this. Can you do this? And my problem is, it, my problem isn't doing it because I don't want to handicap my kids. And I and, and, and that goes two ways. When you talk about handicapping a kid, you can handicap a kid by doing too much for them. You can handicap a kid by doing too much for them. You can cre create a situation where your child cannot stand on their own. And you think you're protecting them. You think you're looking out for them. But what you're doing is you're crippling them. Number one, all things play out naturally. There's going to be a time that you're not around. And you want to make sure that when you leave this place, you leave uh, your progeny in a position to thrive. That So that means, yes, you want to leave them with resources, but you also want to leave them with a mindset of responsibility, accountability, and the uh, willingness 
to step out and go on their own. So where they are not in a state of uh, mental or emotional entitlement, where they think someone owes them something. See, even in, I mean, there are those who are out there that think someone owes them something, not just their parents, but anyone else they come in contact with. It's always about what are you bringing me? And then they lose sight of the thing is when you move into a situation, your your, your focus shouldn't be on what's what you can get for someone. It should be on what are you bringing to the table that is worthy of demanding what you need in return, whether it's a business relationship, whether it's a romantic relationship, whether it's friendship or any other situation. We have to do a better job of preparing our kids to face the real life because what's happening is they're getting out there and they're folding under the pressure. And then we got a big mindset because some of us ain't letting them come back. Some of us aren't letting them come back. So now they're out there on their own uh, struggling just to keep their head above water. Others, they, they got a revolving door. So they never have to actually get on their game. They can go out and wild out until they crash, come back, build up again, go out and wild out till they crash again. They're in their 40s now, still wilding out and crashing because of no accountability. There's a way that you underwrite the success of your children. Number one is you don't have them throw them out at 18. I don't know an 18-year-old that's ready. I had to leave pretty early. And I still struggled, but I was reared by my great grandparents. I had some values that the average person ain't passing out now. A lot of things. See, what happened is we came upon an idea. Society pointed out some things that was wrong with the old way of parenting. And I agree. That was some real abusive behavior. Some of us got the hell beat out of us. And we normalized it. We normalized it. We got the hell beat out of us. We normalized it. And then society came along and said that was abuse. So then we started saying, I don't want to be abusive to my kids. So what we say, we say we got to correct, but we overcorrected. We left some of the things that were valuable, accountability, how to say yes, sir, and yes, ma'am, and no, sir, and no, ma'am, how to sit up and speak when you walk. I mean, just simple things that you watch kids now and they don't understand it. They don't know how to do it. I, I, I literally watch my own daughter because I, I mean, I tell her, her mom tells her all the time and she doesn't just do it. She just does it because somewhere along the line, we missed getting her, getting that point across to her. My kids have a habit of when they finish a phone call of just hanging up. Well, the 16 year old got a job and while we were all in the kitchen one day, she's on the phone with her manager talking about her schedule and she hangs up without saying bye. The manager calls back and said, I'm pretty sure that was by accident that you hung up, right? And we had to explain to us, this is what we're talking about when we say this. That is a way to do things that we have simply overcorrected. So we're so worried about not uh, abusing our kids. We have stopped disciplining them in a way that can develop them. There's a there's a clear cut distinction between abuse and discipline. Discipline is an absolute absolute requisite that has our children have to learn that there are consequences to their actions. That they don't get to do whatever they want. And mom and dad's coming to the rescue and bailing them out. Now, doesn't mean that you throw them to the wolves. That's not what I'm talking about. 
I think we do that as a race too. We throw our people to the wood. You go out there and do something wrong. You do something wrong and we'll throw you away. We ain't trying to hear it we, because we've been taught to judge that way. I'm not talking about throwing our kids to the woods. What I'm saying is sometimes you got to let them have consequences so that they realize that their actions are not abstract and empty, that you're producing something with the way you think, you're producing something with the way you behave. And that leads me to what I want to talk about specifically and very briefly. But I had to get into this so that you understand where I'm going, uh, and because I don't have the time to explain the psychology behind it all. That's basic. You get this. What you get? What I'm saying. You know what I'm saying. So we're cool. All right. We have an uptick trend right now in our youth committing um, matricide and patricide. Matricide is the killing of your mother. Patricide is the killing of your father. There's an uptick. Two cases in Houston just this past week. I just read about another one in Georgia uh, where a young man shot his mother who was 37 years old. Another one in Houston where a daughter breaks into her mom's house and stabs uh, stabs her mother to death last night along with another relative who, who, who survived, got stabbed. Uh, and, th- and you're reading all the time, son, especially with black males are going left and killing uh it happened another one happened in texas uh last week another one happened in texas down in uh padre island um and it's 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 a it's a building trend where uh this thing is happening there are a couple of things that are playing uh uh playing a role in the dynamic of this phenomenon of fratricide, I mean, matricide and patricide. And it is first and foremost that we are living in a culture where our children have been desensitized to violence. They see it too often. They see it in movies. They hear about it in rap music. It's on their games, the games they play. uh, People are dying all day. They're killing people all day long on these games. All these things uh, subliminally and subconsciously and subtly desensitize the mind and the conscious. And when I say conscious, I'm not talking about conscious as in C-O-N-S-C-I-O-S in being conscious aware. I mean, conscious as in the, the norm and standard that says something is right or something is wrong. The thing that makes you feel bad when you do something you're not supposed to do, that conscious. See, what has happened is that conscious has been corrupted It has been corrupted by the desensitization of immoral and wrong behavior, period, but violence in specific. And so what happens is what what happened? uh, I've done an immense amount of study over the last 15 years in understanding uh, African-American adolescent and young adult male violence. That's what Black Men League comes from, is the understanding of what is driving the violence with young uh, African-American adolescent teenagers um, and young adults was driving the violence. Five, five mechanisms. Uh, the, the, the fifth is uh, what's called urban hassle. Urban hassle is what inner city kids experience on a regular basis 
And we are, if you grew up in the inner city, it's just a part of life, but it's actually working as a trigger. Okay, uh, urban hassle, sirens in the middle of the night. That's not happening in upscale communities unless somebody has a heart attack. Gunshots in the middle of the night. Uh, all kinds of aberrant activity happening, uh, happening during the middle of the night. Navigating through drug uh, activity just to get to school. Navigating through gang violence just to get to school. Uh, all, if you're living on the East Coast or the Midwest, L trains running all time of the night, rattling uh, things in the inside of your house. All of that stuff is building a certain level of uh, mental anxiety that we just learn to cope with, but it's not normal. Okay. That's the that's number five. Number four is witnessing violence. Growing up in the inner city, you're bound to see violence. Somebody gets jumped. Somebody gets cut. Somebody gets shot on a regular basis. It's becoming so right. You talk about it. You go around little kids in the community talking about it. You know, he did this. Did you see blah, blah, blah. It's just common conversation. Blah, blah. Got shot. Did you know blah, blah, blah? And, 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 and witnessing about Next, being a victim of violence. Number three, being a victim of violence. All these things, uh, the first two are, the first one, then the fifth one, rather. Then the next two, uh, witnessing violence and being a victim of violence, are also desensitizers. Working along with the media stimuli and all other influences that are out there, that says that's not that violence is a big deal and is corrupting the conscience, right? Okay, here are the big two and the two that, that are extremely important for black males specifically. Number two, and this is what we work on hard. Number two, the lack of proper racial socialization. A lot of these young boys don't have men in the community, much less in the house that are modeling true manhood, that are modeling the ability to cope and manage frustration, stress, anger. So they don't understand it. They don't have men who are modeling building your community, building your businesses, owning your own so that you're not at the mercy of those who have power. They don't have that. So what they are doing is they're starting to experience life from a place where they lack influence, where the world seems to move again. At a very early age, as early as five years old in the educational process, black males are targeted. I wrote a long position paper about it. It's in, in multiple books that I've written. Uh, the disproportionality in special education referrals for young black males. You're putting them in an environment, in an educational system where 60 to 75, 65 to 75% of the teachers are white, middle-aged white women. I mean, middle-aged white women who automatically see them as a threat. At five years old, there are literally teachers that see that young black boy as a threat. So what happens? He starts to get special education referrals because he learns differently or he doesn't uh, sit still for long. The truth of the matter is five-year-olds weren't meant to sit still in the first place. The way children learn is by moving around. That's why babies are studying putting stuff in their mouth. That's the first mode of discovery. That's why you got to come and say, don't do that. Don't and put it in their mouth. It's touch, feel, experience in that they experience through putting things in their mouth. That's why you have to watch them. And then after a while, they're moving around. They're learning. 
we've, we've learned now that if we allow kids to be more aggressive and involved in their learning experience, instead of asking them to sit still for multiple hours, that we get a better, uh, a better outcome. Well, anyway, the young black male isn't given the latitude to be antsy in a still. He's learning disabled. He has ADHD. He has oppositional defiant disorder. He has all these different things that he's being labeled with. And then what do you know? He's being ostracized at five and six. By the time he gets middle school, he's already saying, I don't want to be here. When he gets old enough to where he can drop out, a lot of them are dropping out. Then guess what? A kid that does not complete their high school education is five times more likely to end up incarcerated. We, we, that's that part of it. So we need to learn how to socialize. And what is social? It's about training them what it means to be a man and specifically what it means to be a black man, because the black male experience in America is different than any other. And we have to acknowledge that we've got to stop thinking that black men have the same experience as white men, Asian men, and even Latino men. It's not African-American men, especially the descendants of slaves. Those who have a direct connectivity here have a definitely have a different experience historically, generationally, and personally, there is a different experience. You have to understand this if you're going to understand the black man, understand the situation that we're dealing with, and ultimately understand where this violence is coming for, from towards parents. All right, moving on to, through this. So we've got to socialize them. Finally, the number one influence of African-American adolescent and young adult male violence, the feeling of being disrespected. People don't get that. When I'm counseling couples the one thing that I have the hardest time getting the woman to understand is he doesn't think like you. He doesn't move like you. His expectations for the relationship are completely different than yours. You need to feel love. You need to feel secure in the love. That's where your focus is. You wake up every morning looking at him to see if he's doing things to show you he loves you. He's not looking for love. Not that he doesn't want to be loved. He wants to be respected. Second of all, he wants to be needed. Then he wants to be loved. I know this because I've done the research. I've uh, not only did literature views on a number of existing studies, I've done my own. There's a study when I wrote When Your House Is Not a Home, which is my fourth book. I followed that with Merging Souls, which was book number 24. When I did the research for that, that was a study of 4,000 men. The men were asked a series of questions uh, dealing with marriage and dealing with women and all of this stuff like that. There's a question specifically that blew my mind. The question simply stated, if you had a choice between being in a relationship where you knew you were loved, but you had uh, you were consistently disrespected, not intentionally, but yet disrespected. Uh, if you had a choice between that or being isolated on an island alone for the rest of your life, what would you choose? Seventy eight percent of the men choose. I would rather be isolated and alone than be disrespected. For those of you who are Christians or students of the Bible, if you go to Ephesians, uh, if you go to Ephesians uh, chapter five, starting at verse 22 through 33, it's a, you know, it's the diatribe that people love to talk about, especially men trying to get women, women to do what they want to do. You know, wives submit unto your husbands. It's so much more than that. It's wives submit unto your husbands as unto the Lord. Right. But it goes down and tells wives. 
respect your husbands. Now, why is the, the command different? Number one is there are two reasons for the command. The, the, the first thing is you learn what the person needs. The woman needs to be loved. Her desire is to be loved. Everything she's looking for is, is does he love me? The man needs to be respected. That's just, and the tendencies of each is not to do it. Women by their very nature will do things without knowing it that men will interpret as being disrespectful. Men in their direct focus and direct action in doing things will seem unconcerned and unloving at times. So that's the command. But to go back to that whole submit thing, just to cl close it out so nobody else them think uh, that this is a misogynistic uh, push, because it's not. This is absolute, absolutely the opposite, honestly. But after it says, after he talks to the man about loving his wife, it goes on to say to nurture. And the Greek word for that is the equivalent of nurturing as if you are a hen nurturing your hatchlings. So most, most of us as men aren't even used to having nurture associated with our roles. And this isn't about religion. This is just simply about understanding that there is a need for respect. If you go to prison, most of the violent offenders in there, if you break it down, most of them are in there because in some way they felt disrespected. Yeah, some of them were out robbing to get money. Someone, but most people, he did this to me. He did that to me. Even gangbangers, he was on my set. All that is interpreted as what? Disrespect. The problem is with young African-American males is because they haven't been properly socialized. They haven't been exposed to proper modeling. They don't know what real respect is. They don't know how to obtain it. They don't know how to earn it. They don't know how to process it when they feel disrespect. So they act out. Now, that's just that part. We still have the female side of things. What am I getting at? We got to a point now where young black youth, teenagers and young adults are killing their parents. And it's on an uptick. Well, it goes back to what I talked about first. We haven't reared our children properly. The more room you give a kid without standards, without boundaries, the less they are wanting to be corralled, the more you do for a kid without having them earn it. I'm not saying don't do. I'm saying that you got to earn it. Everything is not, nothing in this life is going to be given to you. Nothing worth having in this life is going to be given to you. And now you're getting to a point where you're 15, 16, 17, 18, 20, 21, 22, 23. And I got clients that the vast majority of our conversations and our, our sessions are about their kids, their teenagers and their young adult male sons, predominantly. There are a few girls cutting up, but predominantly. Why? because you coddled and you gave them everything. And now what? Now what? They expect to be given everything. They never grew up. They never had to face anything. The thing is, you got to teach a man how to be a man. And how to be a man isn't the same thing as how to be a woman. 
There are certain things a woman should be able to respect, expect from her father, even after adulthood. There are certain things a son should be expecting from his father, but it should be under condition. There has to be an understanding of manhood. You can't be a man if you're going to fold and get upset and throw tantrums every time. And I'm not just talking about the men. Women, some of these girls got screwed up ideas of what is. And that goes on the father. That's supposed to be a balance of masculine energy and feminine energy. That's supposed to be a balance. That's supposed to be a connectivity, a merging of masculine energy and feminine energy to create a synergistic force that allows you to create an environment in your home where you are developing strong children into powerful adults. But when the energy is off, father's not home, father's home, but disconnected. Mother's always raising hell and causing issues, whatever it is on either side of the fence, because there's enough blame to go around. It's causing a disruption in the mind of the kid. Then on top of all that, you're letting social media and uh, digital technology rear the kid. So the kid is now learning that I can do this when something doesn't go my way because they're seeing it, they're reading it, they're hearing it. Listen to the conversations that that, 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 that that they're having with one another and interject because the conversation they're having is out there. And you got to understand while you can process on a conscious level that this is just a game. And the person I'm killing on the game is just the character on the game. And that person isn't dying. Consciously, you can do that. The subconscious doesn't process the same way as the consciousness. And the subconscious is more powerful than the, than the conscious. The subconscious is responsible for 96% of your behavior, your decisions, and everything else. If you want to know what's going on in your life, look at your subconscious makeup. What have you downloaded into your hard drive of the subconscious? What are what are your core beliefs? Your core beliefs are driving your behaviors and your subconscious is acting on you. Your subconscious is how let me tell you how powerful the subconscious is. Everybody's done this. Who's, who's driven? You've been driving. You're coming home. You're on your way home from somewhere. It doesn't matter where, but it's somewhere you've driven home from before. You get on the phone, you get on a conversation with somebody, you got some other things on your mind because somebody at work ticked you off. You're telling about that. You're thinking about what you're going to do. You're tired of this job, all this stuff like this here, all this stuff. Now, all of a sudden, you're pulling in your driveway and you don't remember how you got there. Your subconscious drove you home. Your conscious mind was focused on the immediate issue. That's how powerful the subconscious is. It stopped at every red light, every stop sign. It watched for traffic. It knew what to do. And it observes and sees everything, even when your conscious doesn't. Your conscious can process approximately 2,000 bits of information per second. Your subconscious processes billions of bits of information per second. It doesn't miss anything. If your eyes scan across it, your conscious may have missed it, but your subconscious didn't. That's why the things your kids are sucking in is so important. Look at what's on their walls. Is it something you want in their subconscious? Because every time the eyes scan it, it's making an imprint and it's making the more the eyes scan it, the more important it becomes. That's why vision boards are so important for people who are trying to obtain a success. Because every time they scan their vision board, it's another imprint of the mind of what they're striving for. And the mind starts to log in and starts to work towards it. That's the power of the subconscious. 
The problem is our children are being programmed for negativity. It's not on accident. The studies are out there. They know what this stuff will do to children. They don't care. They're making money off of it. At the same time, they're dealing with the process of population. You better understand that and you better understand it well. It's our responsibility. Something else, adult children. These are for the adult children that are functional and doing well. Don't think because they're great, they're off at college or they, they've gotten their first uh, apartment or whatever it is, whatever it is. Don't think because they've gotten that far, they're okay. I'm telling you from personal experience, that's when you need to check on your babies the most. And yes, they're still babies. You need to check on your babies the most. You need to call them up, check on them, ask them how they're doing, ask them. And, and when I say check on them, I'm not calling as I'm not saying call and police them. Give them the room to be an adult. Did you get in on time last night? Did you go to class? No, that's not why you call it. Hey, how are you? Everything good? Do you need anything? You want them to be able to tell you because what we're also seeing is an uptick in suicide. I talked about this on the mental health uh, segment I did, that we are for the first time in ever leading in a statistical category associated with suicide. And what's really horrible about it, it's ages 5 to 11. African-Americans, 5 to 11, now top the suicide statistic. Another uptick, teenage adolescent males. Another uptick, black young adult males. You don't sit up and see this and go, oh, my God, and then that's it. You have to sit up and say, okay, there's something behind it. And the problem is most people don't care or are not willing to put in the work to understand the dynamics at play. Nothing simply happens. If it happens, there's a cause. There is a universal law that God put into place called the law of cause and effect. If something is happening, something caused it. There's no incidental behaviors, no incidental situations. Nothing just happened. We like to explain, like, oh, my God, that just, I don't know. It just happened. No, it didn't. Go back, search your thoughts, search your behaviors, search your conversations, and you'll find the answer to why you're where you're at, why that happened. I had no idea that 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 she was that type of person. I had no idea that he was going to cheat. Go back, search your search your conversation, search your thoughts, search your initial idea and thought of that person when you first met him. I was just reading the book Blink. It gives so much insight into the great gift of intuition. Something God gave us all that we totally ignore for them darn check boxes that we check off when we meet people and then end up disappointed. A lot of that could have been dealt with if you'd have just listened to your spirit. But that's a whole nother thing. Talk about that at another time. Look, what I'm getting at is we've got our children killing themselves. We got our children killing one another. We got our children killing us. So what are we going to do about it? We're going to have to be proactive. We're going to have to sit up and say there's something wrong. We're going to have to be willing enough to sit up and realize that we can't depend on the system to protect us. The system was never designed for us. Let's just be realistic here. You can't sit up and look at a system and say, okay, when we were set free 150 plus years ago, quasi free, if you want to be honest, if we were set free 
150 some years ago. And we owned approximately one half to three fourths of a percent of the nation's wealth. And right now we own approximately one point something percent uh, of the nation's population. So in 150 some years, we've made basically no pro progress in the development of wealth. And that's why this book that I was talking about sponsoring is so important. There is cause and effect again. You don't just sit up and say, well, it just happened. No, something that's stati uh, statistically significant isn't just a happenstance. There is something behind it. And very few people want to deal with researching it, understanding it, and putting it on the table so that you can come up. We don't have think tanks. You know, We don't have think tanks. I think we got one or two. I think uh, the Harvest Institute is one, and the small one that we have. Uh, uh, I guess you can call the things that Dr. Boris Watkins has going on right now. Think tank. What we got at the Odyssey Project is a small think tank, but the Harvest Institute by far is the largest. They have probably thirteen hundred think tanks that are dedicated to making sure you don't develop wealth on a collective level. Yeah, there are a few that get through the net. There are some who are rewarded for making sure we never get through the net. So they look good. And then they parade the same ones they reward to misguide us and mispoint us and show how successful, look at how successful they are. There's no, there's no excuse. Look, you got a black president. Look, you got this person making a million dollars. Look, you got three or four or five now black billionaires. Oh, look, look, with that much money, four or five black billionaires, let's just talk about that for a second, four or five black billionaires. If they were actually for the black community, could literally come in with their combined resources without using anybody else's resources, set up the black community to rescue itself in seven to 10 years. If it was really truly about helping us. No, it's about showing you them so that you can stop complaining about what's going on and say, if they made it, you should be able to make it. Well, no, let's find out how they made it first. I'm saying this, I want you to think outside of the box, because if you're doing the work, you're not supposed to be on this planet suffering your whole life. You're not supposed to be on this planet surviving your whole life. You weren't put in to survive. You have something special inside of you that should be coming out and shedding and pouring into the world and making people around you better. That's why you're here, so that you, through your living your life at the level you were designed to live it, shows up in the lives of other people. But you can't do that if you're trying to figure out how you're going to pay the light bill. You can't do that if you're trying to figure out how you're going to stop this and do this and, 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 and all these other things that come along with this collective suffering that Blacks have done from day one. So it's our responsibility to look at this and say, we've got to do more research. Now, I've done a lot. If you go into Born in Captivity, Psychopathology as a Legacy of Slavery, if you go into the undoing of the African-American mind, if you go into the miseducation of black youth in America, those are three books that's going to outline a lot of what I've done here uh, and, and what I'm talking about but I'm, what, and the mechanisms that are being used and what's going on. But we've got work to do. We've got to build, but we've also got to start holding our younger kids accountable. We don't like that because it actually calls for us to be on deck. We've gotten so used to giving them a phone. Man, just go in a restaurant, sit down and watch families, regardless of race. Watch the families in the restaurant. We have a rule. 
when we sit down at the table, phones down. But watch around. I am not lying to you. We had a restaurant. I think we were in New Orleans. New Orleans at the time. We had a restaurant. And there's a family. And I think the oldest kid may have been 17, maybe another one about 13, another one about 11, another one about eight. And then there was a two-year-old. The freaking two-year-old had a phone and a little plastic thing with a little stand on it and scrolling. We're going to scroll ourselves into oblivion. One of the rules I have in, 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 in my dealings during the day is what I call my personal sovereignty rule. My personal sovereignty rule is this. When I wake up in the morning, I will not open my phone for the first hour. Well, what happens if somebody calls? They'll leave a message. What if something's on there? Me answering it within an hour and whatever is not going to change the outcome unless somebody's in an absolute emergency. And if that's the case, there's a bunch of other people in the house they can reach to let me know they need me. What, what happens is when you reach for that phone, you surrender your personal sovereignty. What does that mean? I can't dictate or predict what's on that phone. But what's on that phone is going to have a massive impact if it's the first thing I look at in the day on setting my state of how I'm going to view everything else in the day. I start my day with gratitude. And probably say, what they got to do with the black community? This is personal life development. You, you want to do this. I'm trusting it. It doesn't matter what race you are. You want to do this. I start my day with gratitude. Why? Gratitude is the gateway to abundance. A bunch of things that we think we don't have access to is because we don't know how to be grateful. See, I've learned how to be grateful for the things I have. And what does that do? That opens up the gate for God, the universe, life, however you want to put it, to bring more things to me. I don't shut my gate through complaining. I don't shut my gate through whining. I don't shut my gate through none of that. I, I'm grateful. And, and if you need a reason to be grateful, you all you got to do is go out in there. If you look hard enough, you'll see a bunch of people that wish they had your spot. Well, you, you, you start your day with gratitude. Then you start you build anticipation about what you're going to do in that day and how you're going to make an impact. doesn't mean that doing this is going to stop you from running into challenges and difficulties. That's part for the course. That's life. You're going to have challenges. But when you engage a challenge through a place of gratitude, through a grace of gratefulness, through a grace, uh, through, through, a, through, through, through a lens of thankfulness and, and, and being prepared and anticipating and knowing that no matter what happens, you've got it. The problem is no longer a problem. It's a challenge. Totally different interpretation. Totally different process and less anxiety, less stress, less health issues. Just that alone. But if you pick this phone up and you sit up and in the first thing you look at, somebody died. First thing you look at, this happened. First thing you look at, the, the market dropped. First thing you look at, uh, you know, whatever. Negative. It sets a negative mindset. Now, you started your day wrong. You've given up your personal sovereignty. You've given up your God-given right to set how you want to start your day. How you start your day is going to have a massive impact on how you move through your day. And that's just point blank and simple. Okay, that out of the way. We have work to do. I cannot stress it enough. 
That's why I've spent so many years doing so many thousands of hours of research and then doubling back on that with project and program development, because that's what we're going to need. We can't leave our kids out there and expect them to be able to uh, thrive. We can't turn them over to these devices and expect them to be able to thrive. We are supposed to be teaching our children. We are supposed to be the, the most monumental force of inculcating proper values, interests, and principles that are alignment with what we believe about ourselves, what we believe about our future, what we believe about our people. We're supposed to be inculcating these values into our children. We're trusting people at schools who may not have the same value system to spend eight hours with our kids and we spend two. We're trusting them with a device where they can access any freaking thing they want to on the internet. And then we, well, well, I put this block on it. These kids are experts at removing filters. Trust me, I know. I done filtered and stopped and blocked everything to the point now. I was like, let me see your phone. Okay, you need to put your phone down. You need to pick up a book. Then those moments. You going out to eat? Yeah, I want to go. We're gonna. That's what we're gonna talk. We're gonna put the phone down. We're gonna talk. How are things going with you? What's the last book you read? What do you think about this? When you get paid, what are you gonna do with your money? And it's a challenge because you got a whole world of Instagram materialistic, and all they're doing is showing what they got, and that's all kids want, and it has no intrinsic value whatsoever. That's what you're working against. And when they can't have it, they get upset. You got kids killing p- parents because they said that they couldn't go spend the night with their boyfriend. That their girlfriend couldn't spend the night, that they can't go here. I mean, literally, that is now catalyst. Why? Because the wrong standards have been set. The norms and standards that govern the co- human consciousness, the human conscious, not consciousness, human conscious, C-O-N-S-C-I-E-N-C conscious has been morphed and, and the influences that are, are, are helping shape it are substandard and the kids are developing almost a sociopathic state of mind. If you don't know what sociopathic or psychopathic is, it's a state where there's really no moral standard, no conscious. People don't feel sympathy or empathy. They don't feel wrong for doing wrong. It's about me. It's a very, uh, it's beyond narcissistic, uh, a, a narcissistic dis- disorder. Social, it's like, I know I know it's wrong, but it doesn't matter to me. I'm going to do it because that's what I want to do. And it doesn't bother me how many people I hurt doing. I mean, literally it doesn't bother me. Well, we haven't gotten to that point yet, but we are real close because we have allowed the conscious to lose its its true purpose, which is the values, interests, and principles of elevation, which is what we're supposed to be teaching in our families. We've lost that. And so now it's about self. What can I get? You see that with this, this, this situation. I talked about this yesterday. P.J. Washington, the basketball player, and Brittany Renner, uh, the quote-unquote uh, Instagram model who wrote a book and talked extensively about how to trap ball players. And this dude thought it was a good idea to marry her. And that's the game now. It's a game. Who's winning the game? The men or the women? It's us pitted against us. 
and we're biting on it. Every chance you get, you got to thread rolling down your timeline where black women and black men are going at each other. And we don't even realize that that wasn't by accident. Do we both have work to do? Absolutely. There are some things I'm extremely disappointed with my men about. But ladies, you are not without fault. So why can't we work on us to be the best version of ourselves? That's why I'm so men sit up and say they call me a simp. Uh, they call me catering. No, I'm a man. So my idea is I want to see the best men I can see. It's not that I don't see what women do. I just believe that when a man is truly a man and he steps into his manhood and he starts to walk and do what men do, you have to worry less about what women are doing. Women will move up under the covering of a man when he's acting like a man, when he's standing like a man, covering like a man, protecting like a man, providing like a man. A woman will come in and say, shoot, you know, you got a lot going on. Let me see if I can supercharge that for you. I'm going to put your dream in my spiritual womb. I'm going to birth your dream through my spiritual womb. Anything you give me, I'm going to multiply it. That's what I do. I'm an incubator. I take what you give me and I multiply it. I grow it. You give it to me. We're going to work this. We're going to build this together. What we got now is what you're going to give me. Now what you're going to give me. Can't build anything. Then you're birthing kids into a situation that's toxic. And they coming back hard. I'm, I'll end on this note. There's an African proverb that says, the, the child that cannot feel the love of the village will burn it down to feel its warmth. That's what we're experiencing. We have cut out, we sold our children so short that they're starting to burn the village down because it's the only warmth they can get. On that note, I'm gonna get ready to get out for here, man. I gotta get ready to get get going. I gotta go prepare, make sure I'm ready to pick up my baby from the airport. Uh, maybe get back to some sense of normalcy around this place. Uh, but I hope that I kind of brought some light uh, to this, and it's so much more. Like I said, this is something I've been researching for 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 so long, and I put so much of my heart into it. Uh, but there's work to be done. Also, like I said, if you haven't joined uh, the sponsorship program of what we're doing with uh, the the uh, Black Wealth Project, uh, sponsoring my 25th book, uh, the basic details in the description box. I just shared a link. You can click it and go to the page, watch the video and look at it. If you want to sponsor that, you'll have your name published in this book, along with a written memorial that you write in your own words that will be published with your name. And all the other details is at the link. But if you want to be a part of this, and I'm inviting everyone to do it, if you want to be a part of this, this is how you do it. Just click the link, go there, watch the video, read, and then follow, follow up after that. Uh, on that note, I'm going to get ready to get off of here. You guys have an unbelievable day, and we're going to come back. We this
Thank you.